0: This morning's passage is coming to us from Luke chapter 9. If you have your Bibles, you'd like to turn there. As we begin this morning, let's let's seek God's blessing on His Word. Father, we are weak and needy before You, and apart from You and Your Spirit unfailing to us, ourselves and Yourself, Your Word, we are without hope. Lord, look upon us, look upon us with favor. Have mercy on us and reveal to us our own hearts that we might be made bare and plain before you and as a result lifted up and strengthened and made whole in you. For we ask this in Christ. Amen. We're in an interesting part in Luke chapter 9 because of how often this particular passage in Luke 9:57 through 62, it's often misapplied. Often this particular passage is taught and preached as the high cost of following Jesus in such a way that it causes those to think about whether or not they're really Christians or not. So here Jesus is confronting people and they're deciding whether to follow him or not. And often the way that's applied is is for us to look at our hearts and discern whether we're following him or not. And however, if we're to properly understand this and realize that if we're going to apply this appropriately to our lives, we actually have to get a broader context and understand what it truly means when somebody is deciding to follow Jesus. Because until we we know that and understand what's really going on here, I don't think we properly apply this particular text. We usually end up doing something like that. Causing people to question or wonder about their salvation when that's not really what's going on here. If you read the Gospels, you will notice, think about this for a moment, you will notice that not everyone follows Jesus who believes in him. Now, if you don't believe me, let's just quickly go through some uh, portions of the Gospels to show us that. Just think for a moment to start with. One of the big heroes that shows up at the beginning of the Gospels is John the Baptist. John the Baptist never follows Jesus, does he? Yet, John the Baptist, he believes in Jesus. He believes he is the Messiah, But it is significant that he doesn't follow him. He's not a disciple of Jesus. We see that the many people Jesus healed, and the reason he says he healed them is because they believed. And many of them that he healed, they would go back and go and do uh, other things, And, and Jesus would often tell them that as they went, he said, and don't say anything about it, and what would they do? They'd go tell everybody. But they believed in him. There was the man who Jesus had exercised a legion of demons out of him on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Remember him? And he wants to follow Jesus, doesn't he? And and Jesus says no. He forbids it. He says go and tell everyone of the wonderful works that God has done in you. And that's what he goes and does. We also have Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus, I should say. They weren't following Jesus they were in their hometown of bethany and while they were there and jesus and his disciples were out doing their thing what happens we know the story lazarus gets sick lazarus gets sick in fact so sick that he ends up dying and they're they're in a desperate place before he actually dies they cry out and they send to jesus jesus come to us quickly why did they do that they believe in jesus the text says they love jesus and jesus loved them it says they had a they had a love for one another jesus loved lazarus and when he gets there he, he and lazarus is dead and jesus knew that he was dead it says in the text that jesus wept because jesus had a love for him but yet in all of this mary martha and lazarus they did not follow jesus did they Then you have the centurion. You remember the centurion whose servant was, had a her- horrible sickness. He was paralyzed, and he was in terrific pain. And then he, call, he sends people to find Jesus, and Jesus comes to him, and, and, he, and he says, he runs out to meet Jesus, and do not do, don't only come into my household. I'm not worthy to have you under my roof all you have to do is say the word and I know that he'll be healed because I'm, I'm like you. I have people under me and many servants and I just say a word and they'll go do it. So all you have to do is say a word. And it says that Jesus marveled because he had never seen such faith in all of Israel. And Jesus said the word and his, his servant was healed. And the centurion didn't follow Jesus. He went back to his, his position. He went back to his house. He went back to what he was doing. So when it comes to this passage this morning and we apply it to Christians to see if they are saved or not, based on whether or not someone will follow Jesus according to this pattern, we have to understand that that's not what it's talking about here. These are people who are actually considering becoming followers disciples of Jesus in the strict sense, which means you you give up everything and you follow him around wherever he goes this is what's at stake here this is a person about whether or not they become a disciple and follow him in that sense and now how do we often use the word today though we often about following jesus we know we don't use it uh, literally like uh, the 12 disciples we use it in a sense that we follow his obey his commands we follow what he's uh, him as our lord we do what he says and that's an appropriate way to use it. We talk about being a disciple of Christ because we learn under him by the Spirit through his word. But we, we're not literally like the twelve walking around with Jesus. We're literally walking around with Jesus by the Spirit as he dwells in us. It's, dif- it's different. But it, so it's not a one for one here when we apply it. However, there are some really good principles here that we actually should apply and we can apply to our lives. As we look at the hearts and the motives that Jesus exposes in these three people. As we look at the hearts and the motives, we can look at our own hearts and motives, and it shows to us things that are actually very common to all men everywhere. We often are just like these people. And the first thing that we noticed we have in this text, it starts in verse 57 through 58. It reads. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So the person wants to follow Jesus, clearly. But when Jesus calls... Jesus also knows that he doesn't fully understand the full commitment necessary. Or at least he wants him to understand it. Because Jesus, I think, as as we know, he can see right through him. And he knows, probably in this particular case, it's probably what he sees. And and the reason he says what he does is because he exposes motives. And he probably hits the guy right where he needs to be hit. And exposes something in him. And he tells them that it's following me, just so you know, is worse than being a fox or a bird. At least a fox is a den and a bird has a nest. What do I have? Stones and roots. That's what I lie on. So you need to be fully aware of what you're getting into. And I can kind of tell that you're not fully aware of the cost. I want you to see that what you're, what you're, you're going to have to give up a lot of things. And I could probably tell in your heart you're probably given to the comforts of life. You probably have a temptation towards that. And just so that you know, you're going to give up your bed. We don't know as a response to this. We don't know whether he goes away and scratches his head and says, oh no, I can't believe, what am I getting myself into? Or if he thinks about it and says, man, that's a big cost, but you know, let's do it. We don't know that. But we can tell something from the response of Jesus that he's probably exposing in this person an issue. And it may be that the person sees the issue, it's exposed in him, he thinks about it, wrestles with it a week or two, and maybe he does decide to follow him. We don't know that. But it doesn't mean, when you read this, that somehow Jesus is dissing him and he has no hope. Like, as this some reason, like, I'll tell you this, and I'm, just, I'm doing this because the guy, we, he goes away as a hopeless guy who will never be able to follow Jesus. It might be that he just, like I said, he, he wrestles with it a bit, and he actually does decide to follow Jesus. We don't know that. You know that we, we, we all struggle with understanding the cost and benefit of things. We all struggle when we think of an opportunity, don't we? We think of the opportunity, and what do we often think of as the upside? What do we often minimize? The downside, so we can relate to this guy of, of, of thinking of this idea of watching Jesus and his ministry. And what does he see? He sees the upside of ministry. Sees the upside. What's the upside? Wow, these guys are healing the sick and casting out demons. And there's, there's lots of uh, attention given to this. There's, there's a lot of uh, high-profile ministry going on here. There's a lot of upside. But he probably wasn't thinking of the downside. You've got nowhere to lie your head. But we're the same way. For some of us, we we have a tendency to only see the benefit, the upside. We have a hard time seeing the cost or counting the cost. So when our employer or our spouse or our children or the people that we're committed to or in a relationship with push us to the limits and take us to the point where now now we're, uh, we're understanding, we're getting the full understanding of what it costs, we don't like it too much. And we would really like to say, I don't want to pay the price, and I, I, I think this costs too much. So we, we start waffling even in our, our fundamental commitments in life sometimes. You realize that Jesus, obeying, obeying Jesus, always comes with a cost. Not just deciding whether you're going to follow him as a disciple. Just even every day, for all of us, just obedience towards Jesus has a cost. And it won't pro- it's not going to be, most likely, sleeping on the rocks or roots or having no place to call home. But there's always a cost. If you're a Christian in Egypt right now, there's a very steep cost to believing and following Jesus. You could be dead tomorrow. Or you could be the family in Oregon who experienced all kinds of trouble and who lost their business and had to pay $135,000 in fines for politely refusing to bake a cake for a homosexual wedding. There's a cost. But that's their cost. That wasn't your cost. That's not my cost. It's the, it, we all have different stations and situations in life, but wh- no matter who you are where you're at, you're, there's a cost to obeying. There's a co- you'll find that there's a very minimum, there's a cost of time, there's a cost of, uh, of comfort, there's a cost of energy, there's a cost of money, usually. There's a cost to it. And then, when we feel the pinch of the cost, our flesh feels it. Of what it costs to obey Jesus, we often look for a way to cut out a way to get out of obeying that particular command of Jesus. This is why so many Christian marriages fail. Times get really tough. They don't think they can take it any longer. The cost seems too great. So they look for a way out. But yet, what did they commit to? What did they say they would sign up to? They said when they were standing there before the minister and saying their vows, this is what they said. If I could find what it says. (laughs) The promise, I promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, in plenty and want, in sickness and in health, this person... Tell death does its part. Did you hear that? And on your wedding day, you didn't hear it. <laughs> you were there, just couldn't wait. But yet it says, for better or for worse. The worst part kind of gets lost somewhere. It says, in plenty or in want. Which means when you have money and you don't have any. In sickness and in health. Well, that pretty much covers it, doesn't it? Better or worse, richer or poorer, sickness and health. And guess what? Till death does us part. Who's willing to sign up? I am! And then you sign up and then you realize what you've gotten yourself into. And then many marriages. Why are they failing? Didn't they know what they were saying? It's because this is what we we don't even, we get into commitments. We say, I'll do this. We're just like this person here at the, uh, this guy here who's wanting to follow Jesus. But Jesus helps them to understand what it's going to cost him. And the Bible has been, it's very forthright, isn't it, in terms of what it costs us often. It's not like it's trying to hide us. Jesus, if you want to know one thing about Jesus, he's never trying to make the pot really sweet and downplay the cost or the expense or what, what, what might happen to you and, you know, really, really showing you the benefits of it and kind of hiding with the unhand, It's like, this is going to be great. <laughs> he, he's, he was no salesman, I tell you that much. He was always... like he ramped up often the benefit... I mean, sorry, the cost. And it caused people to go, Oh, you know, Jesus, you're not doing a a very good job. If I were your marketing director of creating this following, you'd do so much better if you would downplay the cost and upplay the benefit. Because that way more people would follow. He says, "I, I don't want that. I want fully committed disciples if someone is going to follow me if someone is going to be my disciple boy they need to know the cost they need to count the cost and if they're willing to pay that cost then yeah they they can come follow me but with us we're not called we're not called in the same way but jesus has commands for us that we often run into and we find that they're tough to obey and because there's always a cost to them it always like pinches us some way And then it seems like, then in the moment, we're deciding whether or not we're going to obey him. Which is not the way it should be. We should understand that that's the way it is. That whenever we obey, there's always going to be a cost. And we have to know that the cost-benefit analysis, as we do it, there's always a good benefit, always a good benefit to obedience... But it always comes with a cost. It's never all benefit, no cost. And so if you find in your life tension, you find in your life a very difficult time sometimes obeying, I guarantee it's usually because you're having a cost-benefit analysis and you don't like the cost. But you probably also aren't understanding the benefit as well. So as you see and understand, you got to look with eyes wide open and realize that as you obey the Lord, whether you're following him 2000 years ago or you're following him today and you're obeying him, in both cases, you have to understand that to follow him and obey him is going to cost, it's going to pinch. It's going to hurt. Why is this why is this difficult? It, it, could that preacher get up there and tell me the 3 easy steps? Because if there's three easy st- I need some steps. I need easy steps. Well, no. Um, there aren't. You have to be willing to pay the price and realize that there's the benefits do outweigh the costs. But the costs are real. It's difficult. In verse 59, Jesus said to another... He said, now instead of the person saying, Do you follow me? He turns and says... In verse 59, follow me. And then the guy responds this way. Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So Jesus calls, but some make excuses. That's right, excuses. It might seem like Jesus is being cruel here. On first reading, it kind of sounds like that, doesn't it? He doesn't seem to care about the death of this guy's father. Who cares about the death of the dead bear of the dead? <laughs> this follow me. But we know, hopefully we know, that Jesus is not uh, unconcerned about death, unconcerned about your parents, unconcerned about honoring them. He understands the pain of loss and death. Just remember what I said at the beginning. Look how he reacted to Lazarus. He wept over it. Jesus mourned. Even though Jesus knows he's going to bring him back to life, it still crushed his own spirit to know probably what what that happened to Lazarus. So I think that what Jesus is doing here, this is what I think he's doing. I actually think Jesus is calling this guy's bluff. Bluff. And I say this because I don't believe Jesus would belittle his father's death and say, let the dead bury their own dead. As if honoring your parent and mourning over their death doesn't matter. Of course it matters. Jesus was the one who authored the command, honor your mother and your father. I actually don't think this person's father had actually died because if he had... What is he doing out listening to Jesus? He would have been home with his family mourning. They would have been mourning the death. You don't go out. Let's go to a conference now. Um, I'm out of the conference listening to the local uh, itinerant preacher out here. What are you doing here? Oh, my dad just died. I'm out here checking things out. What? I think Jesus said what he did to this guy to make manifest what was really going on because if it were true it would have been the best excuse ever for why he couldn't follow jesus the guy i really believe was making an excuse and jesus called him on it i think when he so what he says he puts a right at, at him and says, let the dead go bury the dead. Basically doesn't allow him to use it. And I, you can almost see, guarantee the guy's like, oh, great. Um, I, thought, I thought that was a sure way of... Um, but he, 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 how does he know everything? How does he expose me like this? And, you know, I think excuses are easy to come by. Excuses are good or easy for anyone who doesn't want to do something? They are. They're very easy. Just look at your own life. Don't you find it easy to find reasons why you can't tithe? Or why you can't come to worship? Or why you don't pray very often? Or why you don't love your neighbor? Isn't it easy? It's, it's easy. Really easy. Or how about when someone wrongs you? Do you pray for them and bless them as Jesus has commanded you? And when you don't, do you usually confess your sin and repent? Or do you make an excuse for why your case is different? Making an excuse is often how we get around not obeying the words of Jesus. We make some kind of excuse that absolutely convinces us that we can't possibly obey Jesus' command at this moment. There's just no way. And he'd understand. Jesus understands. I would help my wife with the kids tonight, but I worked hard today. And there's a show on tonight that's only on once a week. And, you know, I'm not missing it tonight. It's only once a week. I mean... uh, And besides, I do do so much all the time anyway. But then it's like, in your ear, love your wife. Yeah, I do love her. I love her a lot more than she probably deserves. (laughs) You're right. Love your wife. Okay, um... So you kind of love your wife. You kind of do something to get rid of that nagging thought or idea. And so you go and try and do do something just to get rid of it so you can quickly get back to your TV program. Yes. (laughs) If you find yourself making an excuse at all for not obeying God's commands, multiple flags should go up in your head. If you're an excuse maker and you tend to make excuses for why you don't obey God. And you're really convinced, just like, man, I'm a genius. I have like these really great reasons for, you know, God has said, I know he has, but he understands. Like, look at this, right? That is a dangerous and scary place to be. Making an excuse. Because in making an excuse, no matter how brilliant, just like this guy did for Jesus. I just pray that Jesus would expose that for all it is. Nothing but a horrible excuse. There's no excuse for not obeying Jesus right away, all the way, and cheerfully. No, no excuse. The only thing that we should say, if if that's our tendency, is you're right. Oh God, I am the worst excuse maker ever. That's what I do. Being able to see that is a grace and a gift and a blessing from, the, from God himself. Because if you're a person who's constantly really good at convincing yourself why you don't do certain things that God has commanded, that is a horrible place to be. But if you're the place where, yeah, you try excuses, but then you realize, oh God, yeah, that's nothing more than a horrible excuse. That's a great place to be. Confessing your excuses, you get it. Believing your excuses, you don't get it. You're blinded by your own false reasoning. But we're good at it, aren't we? We are good at it because it came right from our Father who did it from the very beginning. Remember Adam in the garden? He sinned, and God asked him what happened, and he said, It was that woman you gave me. Nice one. Where'd you go, Adam. We sin, we do what's wrong, we don't want to obey God. He says, what's up? We say, I was tired. Um, I didn't have enough. Uh, I, uh, that woman you gave me, I mean, she's hard to love. Whatever it is, we make excuses, don't we? But excuses are deadly. They're deadly poisons because they prevent us from doing what God has called us to do. We we need to understand that there's never an excuse for why we can't obey Jesus' commands. So if you're an excuse maker, you know what you need to do? Repent and confess those lousy excuses to God and call them what they are, lousy and stupid. Oh Lord, have mercy on me. And that I would by faith, this is the only thing when obeying, obeying God always you have to do it by faith, believing in the promise. So you do it and you do it believing that God will provide. Because here's the other thing. If we don't repent of this, if we go on making excuses and we don't obey, God will discipline us. and when He does, it hurts. It's way worse to go on doing that than it is to obey him. And you will find that out. If you don't believe me, just do it and you will see that when you come under the discipline of the Lord, it's not good. It's really not good. Lastly, you know, Jesus deals with a guy in verse 61 who says, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We learn here that some, like this guy, have a divided heart. And Jesus exposes it. This guy wasn't making an excuse. This guy wasn't, it wasn't like he didn't count the cost. This guy exposes the reality that he has a divided heart. And he told, he told Jesus clearly what he wanted to go do. Let me go to my house and, and say farewell to all my family and friends. And Jesus' Jesus's response to him reveals that this was indeed the problem. This fact that he had a divided heart was the problem. And you can tell by what he says. He answers him and says that no one, having put his hand to the plow, looks back. In the sense of looking back, you start work, working and you look back and you start kind of wanting what was back at home. You're out working, you know, thinking... You're you're divided. You're out wanting to work in the field, but you kind of you're you're looking back, kind of longing for home. And so you have dual wants. He probably, he probably wanted to go back home. This fella, mingle with his family and friends, tell them what he was thinking of doing, and then really decide if whether he wanted to do it or not. Is this really what I want to do? Follow Jesus. Let me go home, let me go back to my family and uh, say farewell to them all. And Jesus could tell, like again, the master surgeon, the one who has eyes to see, the God in the flesh looks at this man and he can discern his heart and he knows that he's a divided heart. He has nothing against farewells, he has nothing against saying goodbye, he has nothing against family at all. But he understands what the issue of this man is and the issue of this man is a divided heart. And like this guy it's easy for us to have a divided heart. It's easy for us to make commitments with a divided heart. Just look at all the people making New Year's resolutions right now. All the gym memberships purchased. Making commitments, and I know they're making commitments with a divided heart, because these people, everybody who does this, maybe it's you, you want to be in good shape. Do you want to be in good shape? Oh, yeah, I want to be in good shape. But... You also want to snack and to sleep in. True, I like snacking, I like sleeping in, and and for some reason I don't know why. For some reason, when gym time finds us at a moment when we would rather be snacking, sleeping, or vegging, what do we say? Ah, oh, man, you know, it's no big deal. We can always work out tomorrow, right? Just this. this just today, because right now, yeah, right, not right, today, like right now, I think uh, I'm not into it. I'm really not that into it. I'd rather, you know, I would rather, that, th- those Doritos looking great. Th- they're much, yeah, let's just do the Doritos. Because to, there's tomorrow, and tomorrow I'll get right back into it. And that's all, th- this time of year, that's going on, isn't it? Maybe it's going on in your own head, in your own heart. Because we've all been there, and we've all done that. It's the thing we want on one hand, but yet we want something else on the other, and they collide, and they fight against one another, and we're not sure. And then often the want that's, that, that is, that's the least work and the least effort and the most easily rewards us is the way we go. You know, this a divided heart is what prevents an addict from ever getting out of his addiction. This is why we talk about them having to hit bottom before they can ever go up. We talk like this because until a person is done with themselves and everything and is fully committed, to like they're done, they're done, they're done, they're done. Until they're at that place where there's nowhere to go, they're like, that's it. And you know what I'm saying, the resolve is deep. And it's like, I don't care, I don't care what the cost is, I don't care about anything, I don't care and I hate it, I'm, I'm done with it and I'm going this way. Until that happens, and, and, and people will say all the time that they're done, what they have is a dual wants. They still, until you, you have a divided heart, and you say, yeah, I want, I want out. Yeah, I want, I want the pleasure. As long as that's still in there, and there's still a dual heart, and a divided heart, and there's dual wants, there's no, there's no going forward. And I guarantee you that you have had a divided heart before just think of the time that you committed to something but weren't really committed but you said you would because it sounded good like the gym membership but once you realize hard work is required you think well I'm not that committed I thought it was going to be a lot easier than this I had no idea this was going to be involved if I would have known it was going to be this hard I would would never have done it in the first place have you ever said that? ever been there yeah yeah Yeah. could all raise our hands and say oh yeah so for us when it comes to obeying the commands of jesus we have to ask ourselves am i going to obey him no matter what the cost or am i going to obey him depending on the cost This is what happens whenever we're in a tight financial situation and we want to tithe, but we also want cable. At that moment, right there, whatever we want more, and here's what often happens when we're divided heart, a divided heart will always take the easier path and the quickest way to satisfaction because we're not fully committed and we feel the tension and we want this, but we want this, and we're like, yeah, this would be so much better right now, like now. And So that's usually what we end up doing. We usually go after the thing that gives us the most immediate benefit or what we believe is going to be what we have to do at the moment. The same goes for loving and disciplining our children. We want to obey God, but we don't want to have to deal with our children crying and their crazy reactions. So what do we do? Well, if we're of a divided heart, we do what we think would be easiest. In the moment. We don't think past the moment, like, what I don't want to deal with this right now. Because I don't have time for this. I don't... Ah, that's that's what happens when our hearts are divided. A heart that is fully committed, a heart that says, "Oh yes, Lord, I, you know, I, I, um, I am committed, and I am going to obey Your commands." And I say, like, all the way, right away, and cheerfully. It's like an attitude towards the commands of Jesus. It's if a person looks at what Jesus commands and says, "No matter, it doesn't matter." And if you've ever if you've ever experienced this in your life, where you he- hear a command and, and, you, and, the, and it's like God speaks to you, and you like you see the command, you understand the command, and you know what you need to do, and you make there's a resolve that happens in your in your heart, and you say, "I'm going to do it, no matter what, no matter what it costs," and I'm scared. And I have to do it by faith. I have to believe that he is with me and that he will help me and that he will work it out. And that I'm going to do it anyway. If you've ever been there, then at that moment, you know what it's like to turn your heart from being divided to be, being wholeheartedly committed. And when you're wholeheartedly committed and you look at the command of Jesus, I am going to do it no matter what. And that's the attitude of your heart. You have an undivided heart. And you obey the command of Jesus. Jesus. But as soon as you're, you're tossing up options and thinking about whether or not this way or that way, or you know maybe I should maybe it's always good to check out your options, isn't it? You're of a divided heart and you're in trouble. You know, all three of these situations, they should expose in us, really, what goes on in our hearts so often. We find it easy. We should at times find it easy to relate to because we often find that either obedience costs us too much or that we have really good excuses for not doing it or that we have a divided heart towards it. All three of these guys really do reflect a lot of what's really common to our own hearts. And if God is gracious to us, and I pray that He is, He would expose this in our own hearts. That you sitting here this morning, you would see... You would see that your heart is often divided. You would see that you make a lot of excuses. And you would see that you do not count the cost properly. You would see that. Because that's the greatest gift ever, is seeing that. Is seeing who you are before God. And seeing yourself as one who's like that. Because at that moment, when you see that, what, you, what do you do when you're exposed to who you are, what the reality is of yourself? You usually, normally what happens when someone sees themselves in light of God they confess their sins and they fall before him and they repent and they find God healing them and restoring their hearts. The very first thing you can ever do for a heart that makes excuses, a heart that's divided, a heart that doesn't count the cost is to see it, to see it to see how awful it is, and to, and to hate it, and not like it, and to see this morning. See it in your own heart, because that's the best thing, is to see it in your own heart. It's, 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 so, it's so much better than being able to sit here and say, Oh, it'd sure be good if John was here listening to the sermon. He needs this. No, you need it. You need to see in your own heart that this is a propensity and a temptation toward you, and you have to see it for its ugliness, and it's got to be ugly to you, and you've got to see it. It's got to be exposed to you. So when you do it, again, you fall before God, and you confess it, and you repent of it, and you find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need, and God changes your heart. That's the only solution. Jesus is constantly trying to get people to come to the end of themselves. So they could find him. But man is constantly trying to puff himself up. Make excuses. Talk a big talk. Put on a big show. That's what we're tempted to do. So may God be gracious to us all this morning. So that we see our own heart hearts and can relate to what's going on here amen father we're so thankful that by your grace and mercy that we can at times you show us ourselves you reveal to us our hearts and oh lord god i ask please even now reveal to us our hearts That's the only hope is for us to see ourselves in light of who you are and then come to that place where we fall before you and confess our sins and look to you to receive the grace and the help and the healing that we need. Oh, to come to that broken place, oh Lord. Please break us all and help us to see that. And may we not make resolutions.